0: You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey, world!
1: We're kids!
0: Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise.
1: What kiss? Kiss employs the extreme in the efforts on stage, utilizing fire
2: and smoke and bizarre costumes, and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true
0: identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. No! Oh my god, no time to turn
2: all right welcome to no time to turn a kiss nerd podcast we are unabashedly and unashamedly kiss nerds
0: yes we are <laughs> nerds
2: and, and and we we have no shame so no. we're going uh, come with us on this little trip we're going to uh, document as best as we can uh, the history of kiss album by album year by year Um, trying to separate fact from fiction and do it with our own insight and opinion, long on opinion probably. We are not (laughs) experts. We do not claim to be experts. We are just three random KISS fans in North Carolina that have uh, all through our own individual means Mm -hmm. grew up with it. I'm Russ Ward. I'm probably the elder statesman here. I've been a KISS fan since 1976, but Joining me are the co-hosts of the Something Good For You podcast, mm-hmm. Alex Diff and Cap Nunn. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We'll start with
1: Alex. Yes, uh, you got Alex Stiff here. I guess if we're all doing ages, since that's going to be kind of important, I guess, kind of leading through this. I'm, at the time of recording this, I am 28, and um, mom was a huge KISS fan, so it's just been part of my life since day one, basically.
0: Right on, and uh, my name's Cap Nunn, and I'm 33 years old, and uh, like everybody mentioned this is gonna be an interesting conversation because this is multi-generational you know takes on kiss like from mm-hmm. somebody that was that that was there and then somebody and then two folks that missed out on the golden years and only have you know frame only have references at this point but are still fans and have and uh, the band has been important in all all of our lives in one point or another mm-hmm. when, when did you get your first taste uh, it was in my early teens when I was first starting to play guitar and getting into uh, Rock and roll, hard rock in general, and I latched on to Kiss probably really quickly because you know they were monsters and demons, and I was into monsters and cool. demons as hell. Yeah.
2: And how about you, Alex?
1: Oh well, like I was saying, I mean, from day one, mom was always a fan, so it's like I remember it just kind of being around, but it never really like sunk in what it was because. I don't know. Have you ever like? Do you remember being a kid and it, like experiencing media over and over, and then all of a sudden one day you experience it and it hits different? Like it kind of clicks and connects in a different way. Certain things, yeah, yeah. And and I feel like that's kind of what happened with Kiss with me. She went. We went to Best Buy one afternoon, and she wound up seeing the uh, Second Coming uh, dual VHS tape set that right. had just come out, a uh, post reunion tour, building up on Psycho Circus. So she picked that up. And she tried playing it after she thought this little snot-nosed brat had already gone to sleep. So I come bumbling my butt on out from my room at like 11 o'clock at night. And there was some big scene with fireworks, Gene doing some fire or something. And I'm like, what is this? She's like, don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. I'm like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Th- this is interesting. I like this. And she told me later on in retrospect, she's like, thought to herself, she's like, shit. <laughs> they got another one. It's too late. <laughs>
2: Well, that's what's so, I think, uh, that's for obvious reasons, that's what was probably the initial appeal for anyone with the band was the Mm -hmm. visuals. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I don't think that they would have had any history whatsoever if they did not have the music to back it up with. And I I think that's very important. We'll talk about that as we chart this thing along. But my earliest memory of Kiss may not even be a legitimate memory. But oh, yeah? I have a recollection in my head that I saw a television commercial advertising an upcoming concert. Mm-hmm. I'm originally from Roanoke, Virginia. so This would have been either the summer of 76 or possibly the summer of 75, which yeah. would have made me very, very, very young. Mm-hmm. But it, my memory is it was like a stop motion kind of a thing. It was like, you know, like you could, remember on the old VCR, you could do the advanced frame deal. yeah So it was like that. So like an advanced frame, and, and it might have been in black and white, but I, you know, my memory of it's real dim, but I seemed like that was my first memory of seeing what, you know, and going, what is, you know, what is this? It's a, mm. it would love, especially, I think it's, it's interesting to me, the contrast of being from, quote unquote, the 70s, you know and and what media was like in that time versus how much more media you have as you know we go into the 90s and y'all have came of age yeah and uh, you know how how impactful it still remained to be in spite of all the advances and distractions and other mm-hmm. stuff that had came up in its wake. It seemed like it was more impactful in the 70s because there wasn't a lot of, you know, competing media. There yeah. was, you know, I mean, there was a lot of flash stuff going on in culture right, at the right. time. But you didn't have as much of it just constantly bombarding you. And I think that speaks a lot to just not just their visual, but just the overall effect of the band as, a, as an entity as a
0: whole or whatever. Easier for them to have that lane. as a Well, result. certainly in the
2: 70s, but I'm saying but it carried over so strongly into the 90s as well. So, you know, you had, um, you know, the, the overall impact sort of retained. Once they reunited and did the the mm-hmm. makeup stuff again, that it still it still worked. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a one time you know uh, kind of uh, blocked off into a certain time period. The kind magic of a
0: thing. was back. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> well, <was> you could <laughs> call it that. But well, it was a combination of that and the magic always being there and having you know Kit kids like me and my friends in bumfuck west tennessee figuring out that bands like this exist and are you know intrigued by it enough mm-hmm. to where you know uh, my mom bought you know a pay-per-view it was the kiss symphony pay-per-view i think you got a, a yeah we got of the, the dvd, DVD it, over there yeah i think that's my it yeah. was your old copy because <laughs> uh,
1: you were you were about to donate the thing you I were know, about because, to like, turn wait, into wait, second wait. so turn- that's like your first real kiss that
0: was my first a uh, real kiss experience at least for that uh, time period because this was 2003 2004 something like that and uh, i'd already like gotten into the band because my best friend that was like my music fan uh friend in high school uh they had a ton of kiss records and i wasn't into it and i kind of liked rock and roll all night and i kind of like you know strutter and deuce off of his greatest hits collection it was the one uh with like ace in the blue face uh peter in the green face uh, came out in 2000. He had a copy the, of that. Uh, the very
1: best of the very that best kind of tied in with the that was, 70s show uh, special. Uh, uh, I was
0: gonna ask, it was definitely uh, that one. And uh, it wasn't until I got, a, I got that pay per view that I was like, really, I love the show and the songs were great, even though that's not fucking Ace freely playing guitar. It was Tommy Thayer, it was still, you know, those solos. And I was still like, oh, that's still pretty cool.
2: That's very late, mm-hmm. It's very, very, very late. late.
0: I was still, but yeah, exactly.
2: So you're a novice nerd.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I'm a very novice nerd. Well, there was a period in time where uh, Kiss kind of like, you know, fell off my radar for a little bit. And I was uh, working at a college radio station, man. But we would still play Kiss songs, you know, from Kiss Alive. Because when I was in high school, I loved Kiss Alive. I loved Kiss Alive, too. I loved Rock and Roll Over. I just loved that 70s era. But then I got VH1 Classic, and then Kiss became the one we would go, ugh. It would be (laughs) what? Kiss because like on vh1 classroom when they would do the metal mania uh shows they would do uh the 80s kiss oh, videos tears are falling exactly and the lick it up kiss literally became mm-hmm. the, the human fast forward buttons you know
2: <laughs> well that's that's something i think also we'll explore as we chart this the whole history of the band is to you know the makeup era and and its impact versus the non-makeup era and whatever impact they may have had um I feel Certainly. like I
1: honestly, kind. Of, sorry, not to cut you off. No, go, no ahead. go ahead. I was gonna say, I feel like I actually kind of came in at like an exciting time because, like, I remember when when Mom got that tape set. Um, around that same time as like when they were on almost every magazine cover because that was like the height of Reunion and Psycho Circus, and it's like, and I remember actually catching the Millennium concert on Fox because they did a special airing of that after Mad TV. No, that
2: was Halloween. That wasn't Millennium. Um,
1: Hall- was it not '99 no, though?
2: It was. It was probably '99, but it was the Halloween. It was a Halloween special. Yeah, they did three songs. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so I, It was yeah.
1: like I remember catching that on like some scratchy black and white TV, and like watching the Mad TV special beforehand, and like seeing them on all over this pop culture stuff, and then like that '70s show hit, and Mom and I would watch that all the time, and all of a sudden they had a that '70s show kiss special, and it was right. like it felt like everything was like drawing me in and it's like everywhere i turned there was a version of kiss even all the way down to by the time i was kind of aging out of it but my little sister was born mm-hmm. nickelodeon was running a show called my dad is a rock star oh, yeah, produced yeah. by gene simmons and it, right. and they had like a gene simmons type character so it's like it felt like no matter where i turned kiss or gene or some version of it was always around and because of that that caused my first obsession, because right. we had internet, and I could look up anything. Mm. Yeah. I've discovered YouTube and the KISS forums, mm. and it was like, oh, they actually did this one song different on this one tour? And all of a sudden, I realized, I was like, Nerd. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah, and I'm like, if I applied myself even a quarter of this amount to my schoolwork, Oh, yeah. I would be well, dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
0: dude. I, I was the worst concoction, dude. I was like the uh, music nerd, and I sketched and drew in class. Oh, so, God. And that was you, the, you were the rocker kid. I was like, that was the band you could draw, man. Oh, I did
2: that in <laughs> elementary school. I think I think from the time I was, you know, learned to write and had to turn in any kind of assignment, it was always adorned with like Gene Simmons drooling blood or, mm-hmm. or at least Ace Frehley paint. shooting lasers out of his eyes. Or Your something. name with
0: an S as yeah, the lightning bolt. Yeah,
2: with like, yeah, Russ with double kiss lightning
0: bolt S's. <laughs> I would have the most fucked up Ace Frehley I mean, eyes. <laughs> seriously, I,
2: I, I used to have this. I don't have anymore, but I had a, an assignment where it got returned and the teacher drew a picture or circled the picture that I drew or whatever and wrote, I did not ask for this. <laughs>
0: Well, oh, wish you
1: still had that. <laughs> I would actually make that the uh, the uh, artwork for this uh, cover for this podcast. <laughs> Just
2: do, not I, somewhere. I've got one of my little ring <laughs> somewhere, but I, I'm not on a it wasn't on a school assignment. But yeah, that was a big thing. Kiss had a very visual appeal, certainly when I was five, mm-hmm. and you know that would be the first thing that that grabbed you. And in my era, you know there was still a lot of weird kind of. Um, rumors and stuff that would go around through the older kids and it was usually just you know Bullshit. Yeah. But you you would hear the stories like you know those big boots they they stomp on baby chickens and on stage and kill them. Just and or you Gene know, Gene
1: had a cow's tongue grafted yeah, on. Yeah,
2: the grafted on tongue or that. And Just then,
0: outlandish shit.
1: Outlandish stuff.
2: And and then I heard this rumor that they had a bucket they passed around the audience and everyone would spit in the bucket and they would drink it. You know, or that they threw up on stage, which I think came from somebody reading that Gene quote unquote vomited blood yeah. and that just turned into they they vomit on stage. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I I have a thing about that. It's like a phobia of mine because I had a, probably a really bad experience with that when I was a kid and you know. And so so but all does scared the gene,
1: me. Does the Gene Act mess with you?
2: No, you know, no, I wasn't scared of them as like necessarily as like you know, a scary person.
1: I've been Just from the, the, the the throwing up part. Like, no, does, does no, that that, I never act looked act at like it you? that
2: way. Once I once I started thinking, you know, I I, I rationalized it in a different yeah. way once okay. I saw it. But I'm talking when I was like about five. Yeah, yeah. And so I went through a period where I was like, "What is that? guess What is this? What is that?" And then I'd hear these older, like these girls that babysat would tell these crazy stories. You know, they spit in buckets and you gotta drink it. And blah blah blah. And was, then, you know, when you're five, you're like, no! <laughs> and, and, you know, and they would have magazines and try to show me their pictures, and I'd be scared because I thought it'd be vomit and, you know, blood and yeah, yeah. whatever, I didn't know. You know, you're a little kid. But at the same time, you're still intrigued by it, and yeah. you want to know. And, and you know, I have I just, I, you know, I have these weird memories of stuff like that when I was a kid. But I came from a very religious kind of background. My mom was was very dogmatically religious and like Southern Baptist, not Catholic, which is like the Protestant version of Catholicism in a way, you know, <laughs> but with twice the guilt. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she was vehemently against us. You know, me and a brother. And we were just, you know, she just was not hip to the kiss thing at all. Mm -hmm. My dad was a little more cool about it. You know, they had the good cop, bad cop thing going. So we had to kind of, we were going into it with a lot of brake checking. Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, And a lot of it we had to find out on our own because we didn't have the internet we'd have to find out just through whatever means was available and a lot of that came through like back back in the 70s these magazines that were very popular and no not cream not rock scene tiger beat it was tiger beat and super teen and most of all 16 magazine and kiss were almost always on the cover of 16 magazine and it was a big deal to be able to get one of those magazines and then you'd cut out the pictures and try to paste them to your wall or yeah, whatever yeah mm-hmm. And you know, but that was the, that was our limited information. And if yeah. Kiss put out a new album, we wouldn't know until we went to the record store and saw it.
1: Oh wow! You
2: know that was we just so we were always every time we go to the record you know record store we were thumbing through records and yeah. you know it's our new Kiss record? And it was a big deal. It was like <gasps> you know, or or usually we found out through friends. Somebody would call and be like, "Guess what I got? Oh no, what? new Kiss record!" No! You know. This would would have started around the time of Love Gun. I can remember Love Gun being a new album. Really? Yeah.
1: See that 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 to me is my prime. Like I honestly I can't wait for us to get to those episodes of like Love Gun, Alive Two, that that like the super kiss before Dynasty. That
2: was really the era where it really connected with me because I was it was right at the right age. I was about six or seven and then the next few years it was like perfectly primed if you were a kid that was into that kind of into music at all mm. kiss was really right up your alley you know they they worked by that point they were i think they were working towards that age group i don't think they were initially we'll discuss all that yeah but you know so that was that was you know i was there just to kind of catch the that and you know and I I wish I was a little bit older so I could remember it better yeah because my memory is somewhat spotty in some things Mm -hmm. Uh, but I I, you know I remember Love Gun being a new album and I remember where I was the first time I heard it Mm. you know I can remember the where I was the first time I consciously knew I was listening to kiss which was in uh, Salem Virginia I guess technically and there's a street called Electric Avenue and we were at an intersection, and somehow my brother had, let my, had conned my dad into commandeering the radio, which yeah. was, you know, that was a big thing. And he had the whatever the local AM station up there was, mm-hmm. and WRV, I remember. But anyway, Rock and Roll All Night was on. Yeah. And I remember where we were, and I remember my brother going, that's that band you think you like so much, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. So whatever he said, you know, he, that was where it connected in my head. Okay, there's the music to match, you know, what it was so you know my i have those memories of distinct places and times you know i can remember watching kiss meets the phantom
1: Mm -hmm, when it was
2: on tv TV and we we had really bad reception where we lived so i was watching a very snowy reception
1: i'm sure that just made it so much better
2: yeah well probably did in a way (laughs) but um so you know that was that was kind of my era, and I think it it stamped, you know, it stamped that era and the in the importance of what that lineup and the whole Kiss phenomenon mm-hmm. just it defined it to the point where it's very hard for me to accept outside of that realm. And not that I haven't tried. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll get into all that as we as we progress.
0: It's gonna be a different perspective because like you know, in my with my age like my first exposure to them was you know them already being a legacy act and appearing in commercials even like there was Mm -hmm. a Holiday Inn commercial where uh, it's four guys in kiss makeup taking their gear off taking off their wigs and getting ready to do an interview and then uh, there's a reporter going you guys aren't Kiss and then the guys that were in the costumes were like no but we did stay at a Holiday Inn last night it was that whole campaign oh I remember that commercial that was my first uh, exposure to them And and my mom and dad are like which one is Kiss? Oh, that's the one that screams and pukes blood. That was it. That's how oh. dismissive they were. <laughs> so, like, oh, so when you think
1: of Kiss Cap, what, what's like the first image that really pops into your head when someone just goes Kiss?
0: The uh, basically just the the costumes, the visuals.
1: Well, but like what image?
0: The makeup, like them, the, the individual members. Essentially, you know the Destroyer era. Okay, there we go. You know costumes, that kind of thing. You know, not it. even with their instruments, just you know
1: because I was going to say when when someone just says kiss the first thing that pops in my mind is the uh the clear uh the clear plexiglass kind of squares they were all standing on on the Love Gun photo mm-hmm. shoot and, mm-hmm. and Ace had that alternate shiny
2: mm-hmm.
1: costume that's immediately what I think of when someone says kiss that to me is the pinnacle of the visual for me
2: yeah that I can see that that was a they used that, that photo shoot a lot of stuff back in the day. We mm-hmm, had mm-hmm. a notebook that had that picture or a picture from that on the thing. It, you know, but that, that that's something else we'll talk about is how they how heavily merchandised they were.
1: See, I always thought that was a great photo shoot. And uh, during the Destroyer era, they did some against a red background. Like, just straight red. Okay. Like, I've actually got mm-hmm, a poster mm-hmm, pull out mm-hmm. of it upstairs. Those also looked really good.
2: Yeah. There's a... Um, you know, I, I, you know they have such a long timeline that different people come in at different points. It's always interesting to see where what their take is as they as they kind of get absorbed into it, and, mm-hmm. and as to how how nerdy. They <laughs> <doing>. <laughs>
0: well, that's kind of what brought us to the table today. Is that uh, we all um, love Kiss and embrace ourselves as Kiss fans too. Mm-hmm. And it kind of took me a while to get back into you know being a, a diehard Kiss fan, just because I was kind of you know dismissed was dismissive of them after a while. You know working college radio and getting I was a say, serious what made music. You so probe. dismissive of them. Uh, you know, again, a combination of being, you know, pounded in the head with eighties uh, Kiss videos, and then you know, kind of seeing it for what it was, and coming in a, in a time where you know Paul and Gene were real, you know, upfront about you know how corporate Kiss became. It was yeah. already kind of you know joked about as that identity. Card. Exactly, it was that kind of thing. And I still loved a ton of the songs. Like mm-hmm. my best friend from high school and I would like listen to seventies Kiss records all damn day but and I would celebrate it still with like all my college buddies when we were you know getting into serious music mm-hmm. shit like that but uh, it's only been in the past you know 6-7 years since I've lived in Charlotte where I've started you know embracing that fandom again and talking with folks like y'all and you know really I was gonna say, how long it. have you
1: known me now? 6-7 no, seven seven years, years. <laughs>
0: Keep telling so because, I just
1: feel like I just drunk him back into the world. <laughs> I was like, "Holy
0: shit, somebody that likes uh, this era of Kiss and knows about all this other s- stuff too because people forget how, uh, you know, expansive Kiss, you know, trivia stuff is with their uh, fan base."
2: Well, you know, what you experienced in the 2000s, I guess, yeah, is also what happened basically as a whole for their entire career post 1980. You know, once they hit that wall you know, they went from being really cool to just being the absolute most not cool thing you yeah. can possibly,
1: you know. And, and honestly, you
2: like kid. I mean, there was that always existed, but I think it got
1: really bad there in the early eighties.
0: It did. They weren't any different than any other hair metal band, and that really kind of, you know, bummed the fuck out of me as a fan. You know.
1: Well, that just leads into something that Russ and I have talked about just years and years ago, which is uh, same pro- kind of problem. Kind of Alice Cooper ran into was he was a trendsetter. And then eventually became trend followers, and I yeah. feel like his kind of fell into that same trap. They, you know, whether you people want to admit it or not, I feel like they set a musical trend. They set a they set a bar for a live show. You know, oh, absolutely. So it's as far like,
2: as live presentation, they kind of took. I mean, we'll discuss that. Yeah. Obviously, Alice Cooper had a, a pretty big show there, mm-hmm. but uh,
1: well, when it came to like fireworks and spectacle, they took and, it
2: up to another level. Um, yeah, and it became and it's the, part standard. the It did become the industry standard. They were they were looked upon, you know, the the, the critic assessment was, "Oh, they're they're Vegas. It's mm-hmm. showbiz. It's, it's Vegas. Vegas. It's a you know, it's not a rock and roll show. It's Vegas." Mm-hmm. Well, now you got to see a rock and roll show and everyone is doing that, Oh, know? yeah. Everyone. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it almost doesn't warrant comment, but it does to the degree that people forget that what really brought that up to the level that that became the industry standard was the KISS show. Yeah. Yep. More, and, so and than, like, more so than anything else that preceded it, which would only be Alice Cooper.
1: And where do you think, since we may not really be able to you know decipher this as we're going through the years, where do you think KISS started falling off that train and becoming trend followers?
0: Oh, definitely in the 80s. Yeah, do you I think, think that was the first time? I think signs? they
2: always kind of followed in a weird way. I would say Dynasty, in a, in in in, a, in more in a kind of a musical way. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know, I think they were just better to. Uh, I don't know how to say it. They sort of were able to synthesize everything that they were being influenced by and create their own thing. Yeah, um, I think they began to start trying they started looking at what was going on and trying to like match it and keep up once they got into the 80s i think that's when you start seeing them really second guess themselves yeah and start trying to calculate okay is this going to work is this going to work is Mm -hmm. this going to work whereas in the in the 70s it was a gamble i mean was this going to work i mean as we'll discuss you know everyone was against this idea Mm-hmm. And they believed in it. And so that was the lead. They knew they had something that was unique, different, and special. And they had the faith in in seeing it through, yeah. even to their own demise if 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 it were to be that way. Yeah, uh, it was a risky proposition when they were coming out of the shoot. Mm-hmm. you know, but once they got to the point where they were an established superstar act, and then it became, you know, uh, for lack of no pun intended larger than life <laughs> you know and you got to the era of what is sometimes referred to as super kiss mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know then it became overkill and it dropped and that's as soon as that drop came mm-hmm. that's when they started second guessing everything yeah, that makes sense. you know and it it is it, 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 you know you can see why but i don't think that it was necessarily uh something they should have done. No,
0: not necessarily. Probably cover it more when we get to it, but with uh, the Elder, that's kind of, that was their, like, uh, last, you know, uh, attempt at just throwing everything against the wall and seeing what was what would stick I before think, just yeah, going full hair with metal the, with
2: the with the elder? I think they were trying to do something really audacious and and different, and I think that was the last. You know, and it it was a gamble that did not pay off.
1: Well, I know? mean, uh, Gene and Paul have said on a couple different ones whether it be like the extreme close up, confidential, whatever it was from the nineties, um, that they were like they were trying to please the critics. They were trying to write a critics-approved
2: record. I, I think that was partly true but i also think they i mean they obviously i think they believed in what they were trying to do i think it was a concept that they wanted to you know they thought fit into the kiss thing
1: and also how much do you feel was that was a
0: bob ezrin thing I was gonna oh ask. yeah
2: i'm sure he had a huge influence on
0: yeah. that but Bob Ezra wasn't at his uh, peak either, though, was he? Well, probably not. No, no.
1: no. He's admittedly been like, no, I was at some of my worst in Uh,
0: the late 70s, early 80s. Right.
2: You know, obviously I wasn't there. We can only judge by what the final product is. But, I mean, given his track record leading into that. Seems kind of like it's kind of just a an excuse for having to de- you know delivered a shit album. <laughs> you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll give that's all the stuff that we're going to talk about on this oh, yes. show. Oh, this yes. is going to go album by album. We'll explore each album. Uh, Songs, uh, the strong songs or the songs we feel are the stronger songs versus the weaker ones. We'll talk about the the ensuing tour that supported each one and just kind of chart the history and then try to figure out like these things where you read stuff or hear stuff that the band say that may not really jive with some other stuff and try to figure out, okay, well, what's the truth here? You
1: know, is, is this... The uh, Ace truly come in with a red and orange sneaker? Yeah, stuff like
2: that, yeah. <laughs> but also just uh, we'll try to explore. Uh, the
1: Unsolved Mysteries music. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Try to explore the how, how, like we say, with the influence not only on just presentation, but maybe even musically as well. This is a, a band that has a very deep impact on uh, popular music today that doesn't really get rightly recognized because, I think, of that imagery. You know, the, the, the calling card that made them so successful has also hurt them in a, in a large way. And, well, and, you know, I think that uh, they still remain the ultimate cult
0: band. I was going to ask, uh, all of us as musicians here at the table all play guitar and bass for various reasons. Was KISS a big part of y'all's uh, decisions to pick up a guitar or, like, try to excel at it by any means?
2: Well, I don't excel at guitar.
0: Well, you know what either, I mean. So, no. But did it, like,
1: <laughs> and uh, oddly enough... Not really for me because I always felt like KISS was the unattainable music for like me playing because it's like, um, you know, actually to throw out a little bit of family names, you know, um, the person that taught me guitar uh, was Jeff Young, Joe Young from Annie Scene, uh, his brother. So he taught me a bar chord. So it's like, that's all I knew for years. So it's like, I would listen to an Ace Fraley solo or like, you know, uh, Come On and Love Me, you know? And it's like, it's got all these, you know, broken chords, you know, and all this really intricate stuff. And I always felt like that was so beyond my reach. I almost never tried for See,
2: that's interesting to me because I always thought that was like kind of introductory for a lot of people to learn how to play. Like That was an accessible kind of music. That's one thing about Kiss that... I think appeals to me now more, you know, I, I would not have rationalized this obviously as a, as a, as a kid, but, uh, the music was accessible in a mm-hmm. way that like music, like, uh, yes, let's say, right. Wasn't, you know, yes, didn't appeal to me, especially, mm-hmm. you know, as a, even as a, a teenager, uh, you know, any kind of prog, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and this kind of stuff, didn't have that appeal because it didn't have that immediacy and that you know what i like to call proletariat teenage american rock and roll mm-hmm. you know but I, and I but i and i you know i don't i'm not as advanced as you guys as far as skill and playing yeah. but it seems like of most people that i knew that was kind of their introductory means to learn how to play like that was the easier stuff to figure out how to play
1: and maybe it was because i just kind of Wound up going about it the wrong way because, like, uh, since Cap kind of brought it up uh, with my playing guitar, when mom got it for me, she we didn't do lessons for like almost a year, and then she was like, Do you want lessons? And I was like, Yeah. And the guy she t- took me to, um, I know Cap knows, do you know a comedian named Mitch Hedberg? Mm-hmm. He very much a Mitch Hedberg kind of guy. He's like, "Hey, what's up, dude?" You know, uh, it's like yeah. you can read between the lines. Now that I was older, kind of thing. And he was like, "What so do you want?" So your
2: stereotypical guitar instructor.
1: Oh, totally. Okay. And, uh, and he was like, "What do you want hey, to learn to play, man?" <laughs> and I was like, "I really like Kiss." He's like, "You want to learn rock and roll all night?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Cool, cool." He's like, "We'll just practice, you know, this, this, and this." And when you come back next week, I'll have the tabs and we'll learn how to play it. Like, okay, cool. Come back the next week and he's like showing me the big D chords and the A chords and it's just like it felt so like above my pay grade. Like just starting out that it almost maybe kind of made me go, okay, well, this style of music requires a lot more of this finger work that I just, I don't feel confident in. So I'm like, it's Ramones and Misfits for me because it's just the bar chord. Yeah, but you,
2: you eventually got there.
1: I think for- only within the last, I'd say three years, have I really kind of started paying attention to Kiss music and actually started trying to play it. Well. Like it on like I was kind of scared of that kind of riffage and learning how to play it for that long because it just parts of it just did well, not we connect.
2: Clarify that we kind of are more like punk rock types. Absolutely. People are listening and they might go, what? They couldn't play that? What did they No, I, 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 well, I, I was, no, a, we just, we I was an unintelligent
1: punk rock bar chord player yeah. until the last couple of years when I started paying closer attention to uh, Cap because he's a much more proficient
0: guitar player than I am. Well, <laughs> the point I was trying to get at was that all of us here at the table agree that Ace Frehley was like the fucking man to us. As, oh yeah, I still wanted you you know, to be
1: Ace. I, I argue
2: that Ace Frehley and in, I in, 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 I got to. I've got to qualify this by saying there is a difference. I think between influence and inspiration. But I think Ace Frehley is probably the most in, inspirational guitarist, I agree with that. maybe in the history of rock and roll. I think more people were inspired to pick up the guitar because of Ace, not necessarily influenced by his style or his playing, but just inspired by the fact that he, you know he's fucking ace right yeah you know, and he was cool he's the coolest guy and probably arguably the coolest member mm-hmm. and you know i think more people were inspired to pick up a guitar because of ace
0: fraley i definitely agree with that you
2: then most you know i think once they advanced to a certain level they probably found other influences and that's fair to say too but as far as the insp- the inspiration to pick it up to, mm-hmm. to make the effort you know, I think Ace was probably, for a generation, the guy.
1: Oh, I mean, he, he was the reason I wanted to be a quote-unquote rock star. You yeah. know, he he wasn't necessarily the reason I wanted to pick up a guitar, but it's like I would look at Ace on stage and go like, "Well, that's what I want. I want right. to be him." Right? You know, it's just I just I guess I was already just too self aware even as a kid, just being <laughs> like, "I'm not this talented." <laughs> you you
2: want to hear something really really funny from when we were young? No, of course we don't really, on this yeah, podcast, yeah. For us. <laughs> you know, we had we had a suspicion for a long time that Ace was a girl. Really? Yeah.
1: Do this is a legit
2: thing, y'all. Okay, we, we, and this this might have just been in my circle of friends, but we were like, you know, I think Ace is a girl because he didn't sing.
1: Yep, yep. Because you, you were saying Love Gun was this a new was, record, this was so pri- nothing prior before to Love Gun.
2: Mm-hmm. We didn't, you know, and we, you know, we never, we didn't have any video or film or anything to watch. And because honestly, it, he unless, did kind of have the wiriest, and, and almost, he, he he never had an open chest costume. Yeah. Oh, it was always man. covered, you know. And we were like, All I "Good think, points."
1: You know, when you're when you're like six or whatever, you're like,
2: "I think Ace is a girl." <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, like, just you
1: explaining it right now, I'm like kind of putting myself in that mind frame, just ignoring fact, going like holy fuck, I could see myself totally believing we, that. Know,
2: we, we, we were like convinced there for about, I don't know how long. I don't know how long <laughs> that lasted, but there for a minute we were like, Ace is a girl. He's a girl and no one knows it. No. But that was part of the appeal of KISS that we had that y'all did not have, which was so much was not known. They protected their, you know, to the point where you didn't know what they looked like. That was a big thing to try to figure out, I wonder what they look like.
1: Well, to connect that, was there ever a KISS mythology or lie or rumor, whatever, that you actually did believe for the longest time, only to find out through interviews or the internet being like, oh, wow, that was actually one of those urban legend things?
2: Hmm, I don't know. I think once I got to a certain point, I started kind of figuring it out. I'm not sure so i don't recall anything after a point like Honestly, I, you know the the idea that they were killing animals or any of that stuff you know that that fell to the wayside real quick yeah you know i think we figured out that nah, they can't be doing that that's just absurd just, yeah. the only
1: one but, i actually believed for a minute was that gene cut the uh string under his tongue yeah i, don't I believed I ever, that one for a little I, bit i too. I, never,
2: I don't think i ever believed any of that stuff um You know, I just that's I can remember all those rumors Mm -hmm. and stuff, but I just thought that was you know that he grafted a cow's tongue on. Yeah, for some reason that kind of stuff just seemed like we were just like no. But we I think part of it also was even if even if for some god awful reason that was actually had been proven true or something, we wanted to believe that all of it was legit. Yeah. Which of course the tongue was legit, but I'm just saying you know I wanted to believe that you know there was something magic except you know when you're a kid you wanted you want to even if i knew better i wanted to it helped to heighten the experience but going back to like not knowing all this stuff about them yeah i mean we were just filling in the blanks with our own imaginations and trying to you know it was just like you were trying to clue together because they were so bizarre and so different and you know you didn't know anything about them and whatever was coming
1: out was very controlled yeah you know so and and what's interesting is I got a very opposite experience because my kiss experience was seeing the glitz and the glamour but again with me kind of hopping on at that near the end of the reunion tour farewell tour kind of era That's when they were doing a lot more of like the classic album special where they were all of a sudden saying, "Hey, um Alive wasn't quite as live as you always thought it was." Yeah. And then doing like the Kiss rules the world thing where they were like kind of crapping on Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, like they were all of a sudden not being so careful with their history, and that almost led me down the, well, what what are some other hidden things about it? And that's when you would uh, I remember distinctly when mom got the Bill of Coin Stories CD. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Wait, what? loved that. <laughs> Have Sorry? you not listened to that yet? No. Ooh, it's all on YouTube, sir. I will send you the link. It's great. I don't know in what context it was. Russ might know. Um, but bill was being interviewed for something and he had like a really nice microphone like you and know he just sat in the studio and just told some stories and yeah and, and like of every almost every track starts with oh here's a good story for you. Ya. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. And he was like, he's telling all these funny stories about a uh, Paul pulling a prank on some kid at a pool and like he shat at the bottom of the pool and like told the guy it oh, was just watch. No, no, the candy um, bar was a separate one. That uh, was a I different story. I don't know.
2: I can't remember. It's been a while since I oh listened to God. it. Oh my God.
1: Yeah, but he, like he's telling just, all these like goofy stories about them like early days on the road and it's actually really cool.
2: But back then, you you wouldn't have known any of that exactly. stuff and if you'd heard it, then it would almost have been like, that didn't happen, That's not true.
1: Exactly which you know? is why I find it interesting that we, we both came in at almost like the height of their careers because that was like their second height was mm-hmm. their reunion. Well
2: by the time you came in a lot of that stuff was known mm-hmm. you yeah. knew what they looked like you knew the stories
0: we knew too much.
2: Yeah and it, it, yeah, it almost it comes to where it's like you know you get to the you know the Wizard of Oz, you get to the the Wizard of Oz, and you know it's like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain well, now that's that you know Oz isn't the guy you've come to see. you've come to see the guy behind the curtain but, honestly, but I want to say even guy- though I know there's a guy behind the curtain.
1: I want to see Oz. Yeah. Does it make sense? It does. And I think that's also maybe where we kind of differ, like in personality traits, because I almost feel like I remember myself trailing off as a kiss fan until one day I went on kiss online and I saw this dude named Eric singer. In Peter Chris's makeup. Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember the day that was posted. Like I yeah. was already a fan by that point, and I remember when it was posted. And See, I called mom and I was like, "Is this is this that same guy from like the '90s?" And, she, and like her mouth dropped. Like that. I, that like that was an upsetting moment never, in that house.
2: That's something else that yeah, I can uh, yeah, obviously I remember it, that wouldn't have flown in 1980 when oh. Peter left the band. Uh, that was kind of a, you know, I can remember when they brought in Eric Carr, right? Yeah, yeah. And I remember the first time, or at least I'm pretty sure the first time I can remember seeing, finally seeing, oh, here's the new guy. They were on the cover of People Magazine.
1: Oh, I think I actually know that photo you're talking about, yeah. And uh
2: so that was the first time when we got to see what he looked like. Yeah. You know, and that was a big deal. There was a very, there was very much a, a kind of a, um you know, we're all in it together kind of feel i think mm-hmm. he was re- more readily accepted you know as a, as a new member than anyone else that has come up since certainly you know more readily accepted than Eric Singer trying to wear Peter Chris's makeup. Well, I think it
1: also just came from the fact that, from from all accounts, even people that like weren't even Kiss fans said that Eric Carr was one of the sweetest human beings they ever met. Well,
2: yeah, but we wouldn't have known that. That's that's besides the point. It's I, just
1: I still like that kind of thing does carry
2: though. Well, again, at the initial onset, you don't know anything about the guy. You know right. nothing. Okay, and, that's and, true. I think okay, that I was, see what you mean. And that was almost like. And looking back, I look at that as, like, that was the last moment where they were still KISS. like Yeah. The KISS with, kiss capital with capital K-I-S-S. Yeah. And that was their last. That was it. That was, after that, it was over. Once they were on the People magazine cover, I, I look at that as, like, that's the hard line. Where really? it was just, like, after that, it was over. So Eric Carr came in. And everyone was like, oh, look, it's the new guy. Yeah. And...
1: Yeah, because yeah. You know, I mean, the it, U.S., I mean, even the, what they the U.S. Didn't tour, tour didn't do yeah, good. Yeah. They, didn't,
2: they didn't tour, and um, I don't think it would have mattered anyway. I, I think, you know, they had overhyped it and overkilled it, and uh, I, 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 you know, we can discuss that when we get to it as yeah, to yeah. what could have been done differently that might have sustained it, but...
1: Um, well, it's like, since we won't really wind up getting to this, or if we do, it's going to be a long time, so retrading this water won't be too big a deal, but... But kind of what I was saying, like that moment when Eric Singer donned the Peter Chris makeup. I refuse to call it the Catman makeup. Is the <laughs> Peter Chris makeup? But that's my stance I'm taking on. No time to turn. <laughs> uh, when that happened, that almost reignited the fire because it was like, wait, what are they doing? This seems weird. What what's going on? It may, and it made me want to dig in and be like, well, what's caused them to want to do this? Peter's left before, hasn't he? And then it like really made me like dive in, like, well, why did he leave the first time? Well, you know why they did it. Oh well, of course I do now. Well, but like that day one when I got it and saw it, I'm, I don't know how old I was, but you know I was not old enough to really do full rational thinking. That just immediately set my mind ablaze, being like, well, what are they going to do? What's going on? And then they did the. Dick Clark anniversary special Mm -hmm. uh, on ABC and they kept hyping up that Kiss was going to be playing. Mm -hmm. And mom, I remember her distinctly saying the only reason we're going to watch this is because Ace is still in the band. Because even though Eric Singer is, it's like Surprise! he's yeah yeah because no one announced that Tommy was really playing in the band yet. They right. had not really said much on Kiss Online because it was now in retrospect knowing he was trying to renegotiate contracts yeah. and X Y Z. So we, they just and we'll,
2: we'll, all that we'll get
1: to yeah. eventually. But. but but then as soon as they did a zoom in and it was Tommy, Mom literally yelled from the couch. She's like, no, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> See now, there's a the big but there's something, I was gonna say yeah. There's a big difference though between your experience again and mine is that your mom was a fan. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and, and my parents particularly my mom. Was very vehemently against it.
1: Mom did put the kibosh on it, though. Here's that word again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well,
2: yeah, but I don't think it was probably quite in the same manner because.
1: No, it was in the manner of you're obsessed. You need to listen to something something else. else. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Well, we
2: didn't even have that because, um, you know, we had to sneak so much of of what we had. Right. And, And, you know, our early Kiss albums, when I say ours, they weren't ours, they were my brother's, but he was able. I, I my memory is that he bought records off kids at school, and i you know, and I think what he would do is he would embezzle his own lunch money, you know, go without lunch until he came up with the five bucks, which was a lot of money for, you know, in in the late 70s. So he would have been like 10.
1: Yeah, because say what lunch was back then was like, what, 25, 50 cents? I don't know.
2: Shit. I don't know. I don't even think it was that much. But I, I mean, maybe, maybe I don't. Whatever. Whatever it, still it was, probably took a few it weeks. It took a while. And, and, you know, and he would have to figure it out. And then he would have the record and be like, don't touch my record. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, as soon as he was out of the house, guess what? Time to listen to some Kiss. You know, and I'd drag him off into my room and listen to them. Then I'd have to go and, you know. Uh, but honestly, I can remember the first time I heard Detroit Rock City. Yeah. I have a very clear memory of that. I remember it was raining outside, and it was the Live 2 version. Okay. But I still understood it enough to know I'm listening to the lyrics of this song, and I'm realizing the guy dies. Yeah. And that spooked me really hard. I was really? just like, yeah. I remember thinking kind of scary yeah, that's kind of fucked yeah, up yeah it was like it, you know this wasn't like you know we this we had a, the some Bee Gees. <laughs> we didn't have the bgs but we you know we had we had these we had the, you know a few records but it was like oldies kind of stuff and you know here and i like dark songs i already had kind of a I mean, looking back i realized there was a you know i like like dead man's curve was a favorite you know yeah. oh wow yeah um we just it just you know different stuff but to have that song where the guy dies at the end was kind of like a big deal it was like man, you know, that's a little different, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I would have, again, been five, six, seven, whatever I was.
0: Yeah, I think that was the first Kiss song that I heard that I really, really liked, you know, that made me go like, ooh, I want to play that again, you know, because I really like the drums in it.
2: Well, we had that. We had, I remember, Hotter Than Hell, which was kind of a big deal because it had the word hell on it. That was a dirty word. Oh, yeah. You know, spe- you know, so it, it, then the first record that I remember my My brother must have been sick my dad took him to the doctor and they must they'd gone to i I know where they got it i wasn't with them they went to cundiff's pharmacy in Vinton, virginia and randy was able to get rock and roll over
1: rock and and roll at a pharmacy that's what i like to hear
2: oh they had records at the pharmacy man
1: and that's so cool
2: and he uh he brought that home and it was just like that was it. I still have that record. I still have oh. that physical copy still in my possession today.
1: And, and when you mentioned that, kind of being like you remember the time and place you were when you heard like Detroit Rock City, I have a very bizarre version of that with Love Gun. Like It definitely wasn't the first time I listened to it, but... Every time I hear tomorrow and tonight, for some reason, I am immediately transported to Myrtle Beach uh, on the main strip where the Gay Dolphin and Ripley's is and everything else because I had an original 70s cassette tape of that. And for some I think I had just woken up from being in the back seat from like falling asleep on the car trip and I had just woken up and like the chorus of tomorrow and tonight right, right. Tom- like was popping right as I was like looking around and it was like you know we were at the beach and everything so like that song still sticks in my That's head cool it's that. like tomorrow and tonight is the beach song
2: see I can remember going back to Love Gun the, the, the person that had the Love Gun album was a girl that lived across the street from some friends of ours And she brought it over to their house. And so I don't remember, you know, the first song I can remember jumping off, or at least the way I remember it, is Almost Human. Really? Yeah, I don't know why that one, but.
1: That's that's a deep cut to kind of stick out.
2: It just, you know, but I can remember staring at the cover and listening to it on their stereo at their house. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even my friend's copy, it was the girl across the street. She had it.
1: You guys just had a whole network. Well, there of was, people. it yeah. was
2: all these kind of kids that kind of you know yeah in the neighborhood. Um, boy, gosh, that that goes back though. You yeah. know, I, I just the the first album I really consciously remember coming out. I can remember in '79 when the before the album came out, the the single for "I Was Made for Loving You" came out. We mm-hmm. my brother got that straight away. Yeah, and you know and of course right away we liked the flip side better which was hard times <laughs> yeah and then i remember seeing the album at the store and i was with my grandparents mm-hmm. and somehow talked them into buying it okay know? and you know took it home and you know there was the new the new kiss album and mm-hmm. and that was the summer they came to Roanoke Virginia Uh, on the Dynasty tour which was a by that point that was like it was a big deal they were coming to it was the return of Kiss yeah and it was them coming to little old Roanoke Mm -hmm. where they were the biggest band in the world at this point and I can remember my dad gathering me and my brother up this would have been I'm almost positive this would have been Easter Sunday
1: Mm
2: -hmm. we were at because we were at my grandparents house and uh, visiting, and he had the newspaper. He always got the Roanoke paper, even we were, my grandparents lived in the southwesternmost part of Virginia. Right. But you could get the Roanoke paper there. And got it. He had the paper folded on his knee, and he gathers us up he goes, Boys, and I'll never forget this. He patted the paper. Mm-hmm. He goes, Boys, the paper says KISS is coming to Roanoke. <laughs> And we're like, like, He does, and then he does this, this is the coolest thing my dad ever did. He goes, he leans forward, he looks at us, he goes, would you like to go? That's awesome. And our little heads exploded. I was eight, and my brother was 12. Mm -hmm. So, I did not realize this until later. He had already conferred with mom about this.
1: Ah, nice.
2: And it was decided there was no way that their baby boy Russ was going to get to go to no rock concert. Mm-hmm. No eight-year-old belongs in that environment because
0: there's mm-hmm.
2: drugs and there's. Oh.
0: But there were right. I'm just so he goes.
2: He goes. He goes. Well, Russ, I'm sorry, but it says you have to be 10 years old to go to the concert. You have to be at least 10. This is a lie. But yeah, I didn't yeah. know to fact check it. Yeah. I wouldn't have known. And to so,
1: fact check you, Dad. Yeah, I wouldn't have
2: known. <laughs> And so they lied to me, and I couldn't go. And my Damn. brother got to go and see Kiss on the oh. Dynasty tour, their last run with all four original guys before the reunion. Wow.
1: How old, You said you were six. I was eight. Eight. eight.
2: Mm. Summer of seventy nine.
1: Because I remember you said before what your first show was Animalize no, tour, Asylum, Asylum tour.
0: Uh, I remember. It was I, one didn't, of those I didn't get
2: to see Kiss finally until the Asylum tour. which, Damn. I mean that's
0: a. Uh, all right. So, did you get to see any of the uh, reunion show? Uh, yeah, I saw days?
2: the I saw the reunion tour. Um, I didn't see it twice. I saw the farewell tour twice.
1: Yeah, I remember you telling me that.
2: But, um, yeah, the reunion tour that was another story that we'll tell another time. But, it, yeah,
0: kind of comes back to you know what Alex not what Alex brought up earlier about like, getting into you know what goes on behind the scenes a little bit. My uh, mm-hmm. introduct. Uh, my first book that's the thing about kiss too is that it's uh you know there's tons of books about everybody's perspectives of what happens you know behind the scenes with that organization and, and my first book was the uh, behind the mask mm-hmm. uh collection mm-hmm. of interviews yeah. which was like you know i guess came out right after the uh, reunion tour right or yeah. the uh, farewell tour i remember mom actually uh
1: hounding our gaffney south carolina library to please bring that book in so she could rented out of the and they did they eventually brought it in for her but but yeah it's like that she did not want to pay full price for it she just hounded the local library and was like please bring this book in so i can rent it (laughs) i've
2: got i've got most of those kiss books there's there's a bunch uh that i don't have the julian gill books i've got one uh you know hail julian gill the penultimate KISS nerd.
1: Oh, yeah, he, he's he's a really nerd cool. salute. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I do like Julian. Oh, good yeah, bet. absolutely.
2: Um, but I've got a bunch of those books. I, I never hesitated on going to the store and buying those, you know. I, I dropped many, dime on, many a dime <laughs> on the on, on the KISS nerd books. And actually,
1: yeah. while we're talking on uh, KISS nerd books, I, I'll have to see if it's uh, the same one. I will feel like getting up from the chair right now. Uh, and actually, no, now that I'm thinking on it, they did not do it on the inside. But I remember uh, when Kiss was releasing that photo book, Kiss the Early Years. And it was like the first album all the way up to like Hotter Than Hell, Dressed to Kill. Mm-hmm. And then like a tiny segment from like The Elder. <clears throat> and that was it. It was just a photo book from a photographer. Well, Kiss was going to be on Good Morning America, promoting Gina Paul. We're going to be on Good Morning America promoting it. Mom let me like go to school late just so, so I could so I could watch it. Fast forward to that Christmas and Christmas morning, Christmas Eve. So the way our family worked it is, uh, everyone got together on Christmas Eve to do like the dinner. We had open presents from the family, go to sleep. Santa Claus would come the next day. That's the last bit of presents. You mess around, do all that all day while she took down the tree. That was our family. Uh, but Christmas Eve morning rolls around and she goes hey, the mailman just dropped something off. And I was like, what? And she pulls this bag out from back behind her, and on the tag it says, to Alex from Gene and Paul. Uh And she like fake, like signed their names on it. That's pretty (laughs) cool. How old were you? Oh, geez. Uh, it, it would have had to have been the year the book came out. I was in third grade. So, you were, yeah, that's a yeah, cool it, thing to have when you're that young. It's yeah, yeah. But, but, again, she, but all... she did. But they didn't actually sign it. No, she, of course she not. signed right. it for but, them. But, but I thought it was later on, she told me that. And I was like, oh, that's funny. But that's
2: cool <laughs> because that shows the difference between your experience with your mom being cool about it mm-hmm. and my experience, where it was like we had to sneak it and i don't know to this day how dad talked mom into letting my brother go see you know see him in 1979
1: yeah Knights and satans service well, they were only really a, really a few that. ways a few years away from that one
2: yeah i don't know if she ever believed that but you know she just just didn't like rock and roll in general and Kiss being... you know the 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 band that we loved, she just hated it the most. But we we still had stuff, and don't don't misunderstand. We still were able to get stuff, but it was harder to get the stuff that we got. And I don't mm-hmm. like we had beach towels. I don't remember how we got those beach towels, and I wish we still had them because they're yeah you know, they're worth money. Oh yeah, now.
1: I know which one you're talking about. too. And
2: we didn't use them. We put them on our walls. Nice. Well, my brother stole mine and put it on his wall. Next to the one that he had, so, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. this is double. Yeah. but yeah, we had, you know, it was a wall kiss in 1979. Also, I had an uncle that worked for uh, Wendy's. He was in upper management for mm-hmm. Wendy's restaurants, and he came to Charlotte for some sort of meeting or conference or something. And they went out to eat at a Japanese steakhouse, and they come in and. There's uh, a flurry of activity over by a table, and they're like, "What's going on over there?" And the waiter's like, "Oh, those are the guys from the band Kiss. They were in town, you know, to do. They're on tour. they were on in town. They were in Charlotte that night. Yeah. they were eating dinner at the Japanese. It was uh, this restaurant used to be across the street from the old Coliseum. Oh, okay. It's long since torn down. Yeah. Um, not the Coliseum, but the, yeah, yeah, the restaurant. The restaurant. Um." And so he got their autographs. It was Gene and Paul. And this oh, was in wow. 1979. And he saw them and met them without their makeup, which we were just like, what do they look like?
1: <laughs> you know? And well, did he, you do the whole getting double platinum, open it up, oh, yeah, put and the tra- paper tra- on oh, yeah, it, and do the little? Yeah, I was going
2: to say, we got the solo albums and we try to trace their faces without the makeup design. Oh. No shit. That's awesome. Absolutely. We did all that stuff. But to have, you know, my brother got those autographs. I wish, I wish, I don't know what happened to them, but they were on a menu. Yeah. Wow.
1: And and that's so cool. You made me think
2: of that when you talk about getting that, you know, having it signed. But uh, that's how we would get stuff. We'd have to get it somehow secondhand or somehow manipulate somebody into it. You know, know, like our grandparents really weren't hip to anything and we would kind of, you know, Manipulate their ignorance on the subject You know <laughs> <laughs> a Kiss album and they sell like a bunch of clowns on the cover and they thought yeah. it was a kid's record You know they didn't know
1: And then it, mom would just be like oh god you <laughs> know. And oddly enough man I have you to thank For actually giving me a little bit of taste Of what you're describing right here Of like the second hand having to get it from things Because I am 99% sure Because I had to go through my closet the other day To look for some other stuff I still got a whole bunch of VHS tapes and I remember you sent mom two tapes specifically. One had The Evolution of Kiss. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about yeah, that fan made up? Yep. One had that and another one had Winterland, a show from I think either Destroyer or Rock and Roll Over where the main POV was kind of from the bottom looking up. does that make sense almost from like the Mm -hmm. bottom of Mm -hmm. a mic stand position camera that show and then there was the Tokyo Japan show that was aired on HBO then, then that was on another tape. That and was actually, t- I think, on the end of the evolution of Kiss tape was the uncut Tom Snyder interview.
2: Right, right. That, that was a big thing in the '90s. Was mm-hmm. all the videotapes started to trade, and they were coming up and all the bootleg concert stuff. Now you get on YouTube, you don't even think about it. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. what, what, let me look that up. Too close. But back oh, then, enough. Find anytime any of that stuff came up, it was a big deal to all of a sudden score it and find it and be like, oh, I found the, you know,
1: uh, Madison Square Garden, February '77. Oh, dude, but what, what made me like... Uh, it's like I'm, I'm almost kind of got goosebumps again like thinking about it. That was like my main mode of watching Kiss for the longest time. Because Mom didn't want me messing with Second Coming. That was a brand new tape set. That was hers. Right. Don't, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Yeah. It was, like, mm-hmm. You can have these second generation things that Russ sent. You know, you, you can watch these over yeah, and over. That was don't
2: the touch shit. To oh, it was, it was the best. That's <laughs> why I love it. it was way One. better.
1: So it's like, she's like, you can just watch this. I'm like, okay. And so the cutaways and the segments of songs they would use during like the evolution of KISS became ingrained in me so like much that I didn't realize I almost had nostalgia for that tape mm-hmm. until about two weeks ago I was scrolling YouTube it and someone up. uploaded, uploaded that yeah. exact one and I watched it and all of a sudden I'm like narrating it like saying like oh, oh, saying oh. remember it. Yep. <laughs> yeah and it's like I had not thought about it in forever and all of a sudden I'm like narrating what Gene and Paul say I'm like oh they're about to do a firehouse clip right after the diddly 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 bump bum, yeah. bum, right. bum, I was like, oh, there it is.
2: <laughs> well, you know what I had that I have still not seen anywhere? I had a tape that had, um, it was called The Inner Sanctum, and it was an Australian television special, and it's about 45 minutes, maybe an hour long. Mm-hmm. And I've seen little clips of it and yep, stuff yep. on YouTube, but I've never seen the full one, and I've got it somewhere.
1: I don't know where it's at. I know I still have it somewhere. I hope I do. Man, that... I and, may be misthinking, but that name sounds so familiar. Well, I want to say that was on one of the tapes you sent it us. Probably maybe was, and it's it's a, it's a
2: documentary of the of the Australian tour. Yeah, uh, and um, some of that, like I said, uh, it's got the. Detroit Rock City that was on Kiss Exposed, and mm-hmm. it's but it's also got them doing other songs and some of these songs, like I said, they're on YouTube. But there's also interview segments and stuff yeah. from the promoters. And the interview and stuff.
1: segments is like what really makes it because I think that show in partial is on one of the Kissology sets because it was with Eric Carr.
2: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, the show is. Yeah. 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 So I think yeah. one of
1: the I think that's most whole of the thing. show,
2: but it's not the whole show. Yeah, yeah I think they and, cut out like. God of Thunder isn't on there.
1: That um,
2: and the first
1: track or two is it because it kicks off with Radioactive?
2: No, that's um, Largo 79. Okay, that was the first Kiss bootleg video that I got was the Largo 79. I bought that in the 80s.
1: Yeah, and that I am, was a big am, deal to have that. I just now know. conflated those two. You're yeah. right. Yeah, it did still start with Detroit Rock City. You're yeah. right. You're the,
2: right. The Largo '79 was the, probably the most widely circulated at first, at least from at least in our area that I can remember. Yeah. But no, then the then they thing. started popping up with different ones.
1: Yeah, like, my brain is on the right path now. Yeah, there, there is still a segment of that one on there, but it starts with Detroit Rock City. And oddly enough, because as soon as you said that was the version that was on Exposed, I always remembered liking Paul's vocal on that version specifically. I think
2: they went... You're talking about the Detroit Rock City from yeah. Australia? I think they went back and doctored
1: those
2: really i'm i'm 90 i'm not i don't know that for a fact mm-hmm. but it just sounds like to me that that's all been doctored to some degree mm-hmm. and it made me wonder if they had other plans for that that just never materialized i've that never heard anything about it i yeah. don't know that, That's that something conjecture. We'll explore once we get up there yeah, yeah yeah But you know that's the unmasked tour and it was what was summer for australia it was winter here in america but right down there it's summertime
0: so what year would this have been? The
2: 1980, Aust- November of 1980. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, well, that's you know that was kind of their last yeah. big you know where they had the Kiss Mania thing still happening. Yeah, and it was in Australia. Um, but we'll we'll discuss that uh, in in length when we get to the Unmasked era because we're and- going to do this year by year, album by album. This is just a means of introduction for those listening of who we are and how we fell into this whole mess.
1: <laughs> and honestly, I think a really good wrap up cuz we've done perfect on time. This was we've like we kind of drifted off right at the good segment, but I think a good way to kind of wrap this up would be A, who is your favorite member and B has it ever changed?
0: And let's start with you, Cap. I think my favorite member is still Ace. And, uh, it's kind of went back and forth between Ace and Jean only because and both for you know musician type things. You know, Ace freely was a big part of my uh, developing guitar style when I was a kid, and Gene was very much the same way with my uh, bass playing style. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like it goes back and forth uh, like that. However, as far as like my favorite member, just overall consistently, it's it might be Gene. I don't know. Maybe okay. it's the uh, the fact that he sang and played, and I kind of gravitated towards that as a kid. And uh, you know, his whole aesthetic, like the uh, the face on Kiss Alive too, where he, you know he's just bleeding from the lip and it's just all over mm-hmm. the place. That's, and still, that a, is
2: still a cool picture. I, I don't that. Know, that so cool. know what the story is behind that. Because his hair like, is all wet I think and everything. He must have too, have caught his hair on fire that night and they doused
0: them. Yeah, just be, just for little things like that, I, I'll I go totally with Gene. Get that. I totally get that.
1: What about you, Russ?
2: I don't know that I've ever had a. Favorite. I'm sure I'd swayed from one to the other at any given time. I suppose if I were going to be like someone held a gun and goes, "Who's your favorite?" <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably say Ace. Yeah. You know the problem again that the 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 difference is is co- coming from an era when you knew nothing about them as individuals other than what was you know sold to you via mm-hmm. sixteen magazine or whatever. Yeah. And now you know too much about them, and it's like. I don't think I like these people very much. Yeah, you know? <laughs> these <laughs> are very good people. Well, regardless, it just seemed you know like Paul is so smug and condescending, and Gene is so arrogant, and Ace is just so dopey, <laughs> you know, and Peter's just so
0: whiny. Whiny. It's like, well,
2: you know, I mean, but you know, we all have our character flaws, but I'm just, you know, but you get them at such a heightened level when you had such a high expectation of what you imagined they were versus Mm -hmm. who they actually are. And so I only judge them as the characters that I grew up with, you know, and you know, to me, Ace was sort of the coolest. I mean, Gene was pretty cool. They were all cool. It was all exciting, you know, I mean, uh, You know, it would have been cool to have been able to meet or seen any of them back in the day. Yeah. So I don't know that I ever had a particular
1: favorite. Right. Not and I'd say with me, uh, Ace immediately drew me in. But honestly, within the last I'd say five or six years or so, Paul's kind of become my favorite. And I think the reason for that is I was listening to the Ace solo record, love it to death. Then I put on Paul's and it hit me in a different way. His songwriting, the guitar tone, his vocal delivery, everything, it just hit me in a completely different way than it had before. Oh, his record's strong. Oh, it's amazing. And and it kind of made me listen to that era of Paul in a little bit of a different light. All of a sudden, it's like, I'm listening to I Stole Your Love. And it's like, I'm really paying attention to his, like, I'm something different. Hey, like, the rest how does it feel? Like, all of a sudden, like, so much sass and style in it. And I'm like, you know, I think he's kind of my favorite now. Is it kind of rung more true to me later?
2: Well, well we, we should revisit that once we get through this whole run. And, oh, totally. And get into where they, they become more pronounced as individuals and... See how you feel about them after the fact.
0: Yeah, well, again, we all know too much now, so we already have our uh, preconceived ideas of knowing too much, but it'll be kind of fun to revisit everybody's individual personalities oh, totally. again. You know, Because we want to talk about this kind of stuff with little context, too. And we can oh, count so. how
1: many times Peter's tried to quit. Um,
2: <laughs> or how many times they tried to say they fired him. Yeah, well, yeah there you go.
1: <laughs> we will separate the truth from the fact. <laughs> Or the, the truth from the lie, and no, the truth from the fact. I mean, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean,
2: well, it could be truth from fact it's all perspectives. Yeah, it's all perspective. Sometimes it, everybody's true. Would you say know, it's two it's sides truth. of the coin? Yeah, two sides.
1: <laughs> that's, that's what I was saying.
2: Uh, anyhow, this is what we're going to do, and how we're going to do it. It's just three nerds talking about Kiss. We aren't claiming to be the experts, but we are going to have our own opinions. We're going to start in. Right directly on the next episode with the first album and uh, how they got there and where it took them. Uh, until then, I hope you've enjoyed this introductory episode of No Time to Turn, and I hope you continue to take the the ride with us. So for Cap Nunn and Alex Stiff, I'm Russ Ward, and we'll see you next time.
0: Tonight! Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.